The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Hello and welcome to another episode of Wannabe Walk-Ons, a Nebraska football and craft beer fan podcast and the official podcast of the Nebraska Craft Brewers Guild. I'm Drew and I am joined by my good friend and better co-host, Ben. (laughs) Thanks, Drew. Each episode we will sample craft beers, mostly local, some beyond, while sharing our unique brand of Husker Insight. We encourage you to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at Wannabe Walk-Ons for the most up-to-date show information. And please subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform or listen to each episode on wannabewalkons.com. On this week's episode, we will sample beer from Brewery 719 in Alliance, Nebraska, while previewing the first half of Nebraska's Big Ten West schedule. I'm Drew. And I'm Ben. And this is Wannabe Walk-Ons. So, Drew, at this point in the offseason, we are well into fall camp. Things are moving right along. When we left off last year, we were on a little bit of a downturn. We were kind of having some infighting about... Oh, just a little bit. Just a little bit. Yeah. How's, how is your, how's your Kool-Aid meter swinging at this moment? Like, are you still... I'm temp. I'm tempering it. I'm trying okay. to push back against it. Sure. I want to drink it. Yeah. I'll put it, I'll put it to my lips. Are there are there any key pieces of information coming out of camp or that you've heard in the off season from like media days that has made it more difficult? Yeah, um, seeing Casey Thompson video of him throwing the ball and looking healthy, um, watching stuff on the O line, like watching them, they seem like they're they are a cohesive group this year. And hearing the way that they talk about Rayola and his coaching style and his you know his just aggressive sort of you know get off the ball and do your job you know less focus on technique that kind of stuff is hard all this stuff about the wide receivers and this, <laughs> like big big time on the offense I think the uh the defense has been a little quieter or at least I feel like from my perspective and what I'm kind of consuming it's been sure. quieter but I've I already had confidence I think on that side of the ball yeah in most areas so trying to check myself you know trying to hold back um I feel quietly confident okay. going into this year right now. I think I think a little quiet from from fans like you and I is is not a bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> my my favorite stuff in the off season, and this goes back to like my original fanhood fanhoodness. When you hear like these little details that are completely arbitrary, and you're like, "Oh, well, that's a good sign." Like the defensive line is all shaving their head. And you're oh, like, yeah, yep, yep. okay, we're re- it's going to be 95 all over again. It's going to be that defense. <laughs> or like I remember in 2001 when Nebraska was playing Miami in the Rose Bowl, and they were talking about like the week leading up, and they were talking about all the activities the schools got to do, and they were saying that there's like an annual national championship steak eating contest, and that Nebraska won, and that. 
you know, I should have seen that as a sign that like, yeah, we're probably going to be a step slower than Miami. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, no, that's got to be a good sign. This has got to be a good sign. You know, it's like those are the arbitrary things that are just said during the game to, to fill in space. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but as a Husker fan, I take those and I'm like, well, I mean, that sounds like us. That sounds like <laughs> us in our in our truest form. Yeah. You're looking for anything that will confirm confirm you know what you want to yeah. believe so and what better than a steak eating contest yeah they then went on to say that like only 43 percent of the teams that won the steak eating contest went on to win and i was like that makes sense yeah you know but we're we're of a different breed yeah right we were raised on steaks so. absolutely um, well segue aside let's talk about beer <laughs> so we've got in front of us some beer from brewery 719 out of alliance nebraska uh something that i don't think either one of us have have had the honor of having before no not at all it's the first time uh, well, before we talk about the beer and how great it is, I want to tell you a little bit about Brewery 719. So Brewery 719 opened their doors in February of 2019. It's exactly the kind of brewery you would hope to find in a town like Alliance. Everything about the brewery down to the name was put in place to represent the community it would call home. Local owners Nick and Tony McCoy and DJ Solzbach struggled, like many brewery owners, with coming up with a name that made sense for their beer. After a few weeks brainstorming different ideas, the trio came up with Brewery 719. You see, Drew, this, the town of Alliance wasn't always Alliance. True or false? No. <laughs> <laughs> Prior to 1888, Alliance was known as Grand Lake, Nebraska. But when Chicago, Burlington, and Quincy Railroad came to town, the superintendent, G.W. Holdridge, wanted the town to take on a simpler one-word name closer to the beginning of the alphabet. He thought it would be better for business, and he picked Alliance as the new name, and the U.S. Post Office said... It's the Wild West. Who are we to stop you? <laughs> so to this day, the town of Alliance still primarily serves as a hub for BNSF Railroad, uh, with most residents either working for or having a connection to the rail line. So how do we get 719 from all that? I'm glad you asked. The brewery shares its name with Burlington Engine 719. Engine 719 began its service in 1903 and operated for half a century, helping to increase business for area cattle farmers by distributing their goods to the east. Once out of commission, the Chicago, Burlington, and Quincy Railroad donated the engine to the town of Alliance as a thank you for its immeasurable service over the years. The engine to this day can be visited in Alliance near Alliance High School. So what do you give to a community built on hard work, responsible for the growth of the cattle industry who still continue to bust their ass on the railroads. You give them a brewery and you open your doors for good beer and even better conversation. So Nick, Tony, and DJ wanted to build a place where friends and neighbors could gather around and relax, a place where all in the community were welcome and by all accounts, regardless of who you asked, these guys succeeded. So I actually was fortunate enough to make a trip to Alliance for this beer. I specifically went to Alliance <laughs> for this beer and First off, it's a beautiful drive. You've got train lines that are passing through, and it's one of those where the sky is just immeasurably big. I've slurred. Yeah, I haven't even like, <laughs> haven't even drank it immeasurably. <laughs> um, I took the drive north from Scotts Bluff while visiting family, and I would highly encourage it if you're in the area. It's a beautiful town. Uh, Carhenge is also there, which a lot of folks like to visit. But I was just surprised by how beautiful Alliance was as a town. Um, the train I did go visit engine 719 and it sits in this really beautiful grass field in front of the high school there's frisbee golf courses nearby beautiful parks baseball fields stuff like that it really just seems like a an awesome community an, yeah. an awesome place um, i did speak to one of the mccory family members their daughter joe 
And she said the brewery is also working towards refurbishing the engine through the help of donations, and they'll begin their fundraising soon. So not only are they named after the engine, but they're taking kind of ownership of that and helping to restore that. Oh, so that's it's neat. Beer yeah. with a mission. Very cool. The brewery is an awesome spot with big open windows into the brew house, and it's a place where if we lived in Alliance, we'd absolutely be regulars. Oh, for sure. So right, yeah. So that is Brewery 719, and in front of us, we have their beer, the Clover Dew Irish Red Ale. And Drew, what are some of your thoughts on this beer? Um, so right off the bat, it's just got a nice, just pleasant aroma to it. Um, real subtle, but then your first sip, man, it's a... I don't want to say aggressive because aggressive is too aggressive of a word for it, but it's surprisingly flavorful. Um, I think it hits with a bit of a bitterness um, against that malt that works really well, um, but still very, very drinkable. Oh, yeah. This is a really, really nice beer that first off right out of the gate, the color is one where you go, okay, they got the color right. And with an Irish red, it's an unmistakable amber tone, Mm -hmm. just beautiful color. Uh, But for me, yeah, like you said, it's malty. I find it well hopped. Sometimes you get these real malty beers and that's all you get. Mm -hmm. That bitterness you're talking about. It it seems like this was really well hopped and that comes out a little bit too. You get just a little bit of those piney or kind of natural flavors from the hoppiness. I just really like it. It has a chewy kind of fatty finish from the, the fermentation. And so you just, you feel like you're getting a full experience with this beer without downing a heavy beer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Not too thin either. I know with mouthfeel, I think that's really important Again, just makes it super drinkable. So I'm yeah. already halfway done with mine. <laughs> I'm I'm moving right You're along as up, well. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've just talked way too long, and I'm going to talk a little bit more. Here's a good segue for you. I chose an Irish red ale for our first beer. Can you guess why I chose an Irish beer for our first beer? I'm assuming it has something to do with Ireland. It sure does. In our first game, it sure does. So let's dive in to our first part of our Big Ten West preview and our very first game. Nebraska versus Northwestern. Anyone who is Irish, please forgive me for what I'm about (laughs) to say and how I'm going to say it. On August 27th, Nebraska begins their 2022 campaign against the Pride of Evanston Northwestern Wildcats. Just your average week zero college football classic presented by Eric Conalingus played at the Aviva (laughs) Stadium in Dublin, Ireland. Kickoff is scheduled for 11.30 a.m. stateside or 5.30 p.m. in Ireland. Personally, I chose not to make the trip because I refused to wait an extra six hours to watch the game. Northwestern, led by everyone's favorite coach to respect, Pat Fitzgerald, is coming off a 3-9 and nine season where they went 1-8 in conference and finished last in the Big Ten West next to some other garbage bottom feeder. Last season, Northwestern made the trip to Nebraska and returned home only with a touchdown as the Huskers put those kitties down with a score of 56-7. Fitzgerald is known for taking his squad with losing records a year before and flipping the script the following season. As recently as 2020, the Wildcats won the West after going 3-9 the year prior. He's the one coach on the one team in the one division of the Big Ten you can never count out. Will Pat, Annie Sullivan, Fitzgerald work another trademark miracle, or is Wildcats finally match what's on paper? We'll find out when Nebraska and Northwestern take the pitch on Saturday, August 27th. Okay. Woo. Struggling I, through some tears here. Wait a second. I just saw your paperwork. Are there like eight? There's oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. So I ran out of printer paper, so I've got, like, some of my notes are on cardstock, and then the rest I had to steal some, like, coloring book activity sheets. <laughs> um, so, like, little octopus, uh, crab, word find stuff. Nice. Uh, yeah, so I had a little piecemeal on my... If, uh, if, if while you're reading through your notes and we're talking back <clears> and forth, if I start to glaze over, just... Um, it's because I'm trying to do the word it? search. Okay, I'll yeah. just hold it up like this so you can follow along. Let's see. Okay. 
whale. <laughs> C. All right, Drew, before oh, we get shit. into talking some football, true or false? Oh, shit, yeah. I yeah. forgot. I had, my, I had all my Northwestern stuff right in front of me here. Um, I'm going to take a breather from flapping my trap and let you start. <clears throat> yeah, please. I'll, I'm going to do this please. in just... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm going to do this in just my regular voice. All right. Oh, I'm done with the Irish accent. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Northwestern. Everyone knows that when it comes to legend, status, and success within one sport, the Northwestern Wildcats and New York Yankees have absolutely nothing in common. But did you know, famed Yankees owner George Steinbrenner coached the Northwestern Wildcats, leading them to an 0-8-1 record in 1955. That's a really weird stretch for that to be fake, but I also know what I have coming for you, and then sometimes you just have to put a little extra work in the true or false. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go out on a limb, and I'm going to say, because I know Northwestern has like the biggest alumni network outside of Chicago or outside of Evanston, I'm going to say that's true. That is true. All that right. is true, yeah. So he was an assistant coach under head coach Lou Saban, who is a distant cousin of Nick oh. Saban. Yeah. <laughs> Um, they both were fired after one year on the job. Oh, okay. So, obviously, 0-8-1 and 1 just doesn't cut it at a place like Northwestern. I mean... Even if you are George Steinbrenner. <laughs> He's like, you know what? I'm cut out for a different sport. Yeah, <laughs> he I just think. completely switched. I'm curious how he how he made the made the jump. Or, like, why? I don't know. I guess I didn't really investigate too much further after that. Well... And, you know, but um, there you have it. If you want to dig into Northwestern's past, you can you know, figure it out. I, I'm not going to. Yep. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I will I will share a little bit more about their history, shall we say, with my true or false. Okay, perfect. Oh, okay. This one's a short one, and you give me a hard time sometimes for my, my shorter questions, but I did make some of these a little longer just for you. Nice. This one's you. not one of them, though. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so true or false, former Northwestern quarterback and one-time Washington football team head coach Otto Graham once held the record for heaviest baby born in Illinois. <laughs> I hope it's true. True. It's Is it true. true? Yes. <laughs> so born in 1921, Otto Graham was Illinois' biggest baby to date, weighing 14 pounds, 12 ounces. Dang. Otto Graham was dethroned 18 years later in 1939 with a baby born weighing 29.25 pounds. mother of God. Not only was that the biggest baby born in Illinois, that was also the biggest baby born ever. Ever. So Illinois knows how to make them. (laughs) For Otto Graham's sake, if you're going to lose, you might as well lose to the best. (laughs) That's incredible. It is. Almost 30 pound baby. Yeah. Holy shit. And that baby's name was Bob Devaney. (laughs) (laughs) I hope you went on to play offensive line for them. Probably. I mean, how could you not? Right. At, at the age of two. <laughs> <laughs> so moving into talking football now that we're 16 minutes into the episode. Drew, what are some of your initial thoughts about Northwestern? Or if you want to get into offense, defense, take it away. Um, so we, no, we can just take like an overall view of them. Um, you'd mentioned in your opening about Northwestern kind of being on a yo-yo these past few years, going from three and nine um, in 2019, bouncing back with the Big Ten West Championship in the COVID year and then back down to three and nine all of a sudden 
I don't know what the expectation is. I think with Fitzgerald, like I said, you can't count him out. He's only had one back-to-back. Only one time in his career at Northwestern have they had back-to-back losing seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, that was way back in 2013 and 14. So it'll be interesting to see. I think a lot of people kind of count on them to um, come back towards the middle of the pack. But at the same time, it just doesn't feel like this is the right roster to get him back on that winning side. Yeah, I would agree with that. But Northwestern also is, is just an enigma. Right, they're really difficult to pin down because you look at them and you go, man, they don't have anyone that's a big name on their team. They don't have anyone that we are really afraid of going into any games, but they do have Fitzgerald on the sideline. And to me, that's their greatest strength, or at least has been. Their defense, that's usually where Northwestern is there at their most annoying because they're just constantly a disciplined defense. And I think that they're still having some growing pains from losing their defensive coordinator after the 2020 season. Uh, to retirement and so I think there's still going to be some growth that needs to be had there and when your defense isn't to their typical level you need the offense to counter that and Northwestern has just never been an explosive offense they've had some great players some great running backs some great linemen the occasional quarterback who can sling it and spin it but you don't really look at them and go hey there's a high-powered offense who can take over a game they're really reliant on their discipline and and I think discipline really comes out in defense yeah I agree and and they really dropped off last year on that side of the ball and I think that was a big part of their problem under Jim O'Neill their their new coordinator they went from fifth nationally in scoring all the way down to 89th yeah I mean that was a huge drop off and it was kind of weird because I think they had a lot of super seniors on their team or at least on that side of the ball and so I yeah I don't know I this guy he comes from town he came from Towson in 2005 to I don't know what he was doing for the past 15 years and then all of a sudden he shows up as a Northwestern defensive coordinator so like I don't know <laughs> I don't really um have faith in in uh, him as a coordinator to like bring him back you sure. know this year take that step forward another stat that I found really interesting and again this just kind of speaks to just how bad they fell off um, and how far they got away from their bread and butter so from 2012 to 2020 uh, they did not give up more than five yards per play on average on the season. Wow. Which is pretty incredible. It's a long stretch. And, yeah. and again, they, they relied on that defense to to control games and keep them in it. Uh, in 2021, that, that average was, was at 6.15 yards. So, okay. so they tacked on well over a yard. Yeah. So I don't know. We'll see if they can get back. Um, I don't think they will. Uh, but that's just... I don't think they will this year. I have faith in Fitzgerald again to continue to rebuild this team and to keep moving forward. And I also think that he's going to be the guy that if a change needs to be made, he'll he'll make he'll the make change. It. And he's got the grace at Northwestern to make those changes. That's kind of the beauty when you look at them as maybe a smaller school. No disrespect to them, but just with their fan base and the expectations that are coming from there that, hey, we want you to compete for the West once every three to five years. Well, that gives you time to go through these rebuilds, these ebbs and flows. So with Fitzgerald, it is. It's one of those things where he has time. For sure. And if it doesn't happen last year and this year, I'm still confident that Northwestern's a game I'm going to mark on the calendar because it seems like their MO is keep the game close and then try and strike late. 56 to 7. Well... Except what for happened, that one time. What what that happened to not being like overly <laughs> confident, like quietly confident? Did, yeah, Quietly confident on the season as a whole. Yeah. Very confident against Northwestern. So if, if there was a part of their defense that was maybe a concern to you, if Nebraska's going to choose an attack against this defense, where would you personally attack their their defense going into up, this season? Up the middle. Yeah. Yeah. Just yeah. pound them that up front the middle. Seven. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't I don't think that they've done enough to replace, um, you know, some of the guys that they lost there. I think you can run the ball on them. 
uh, I think we, we did it last year with Yant. Uh, we just ran all over him. I think their secondary is a little bit stronger, and so I don't think that there's any reason to be slinging it. I know that's probably what we're going to do. We're going to want to throw it. I think, And I think we can have success throwing the ball. That's not what I'm saying. But I think that the, the game should and could be decided right there in the middle. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually I agree with you, so there's, I'm not going to fight you on that. I think that the front seven of Northwestern is their biggest opportunity of growth. They were not strong in the run defense last year, and that's where a lot of Big Ten football is is a make or break, is right, is, is defending the run. Mm-hmm. And so I would hope that with Rayola's new coaching, that Nebraska is in that attack mode on that offensive line and just goes after Northwestern's mouth, just, just tries to hit them hard and hit them early. Because I think that's what they're going to be prepared to do too, is, hey, we're going to be seen as the weakness, so we got to hit hard and hit early from that defensive front and make Nebraska air the ball out. You know, mm-hmm. make them play into our strength, play our game as opposed to letting Nebraska play theirs. Yeah. How do you feel about Nebraska defensively going up against this Northwestern offense? I, I like us against them simply because I think that their quarterback is such a big question mark. And they struggled running the ball last year. Yeah. A lot, a lot thanks to their offensive line. And so I think that Nebraska should be able to play a very aggressive style and kind of let some of these guys cut loose, Yeah, which I think should be fun for them. They're on a trip to Ireland. It's a business trip. But once they get on the field, hopefully they can have some fun on that side of the ball. Yeah, you know, when you, when you look back to Northwestern's offense last year, it was really the Evan Hole show. 1,009 rushing yards. He was putting up seven touchdowns last season, 5.1 yards per carry. And that was basically their offensive attack. Yes, and that was all because of him. Yeah. <clears throat> their offensive line really struggled to, to push other defensive lines. They were ranked 121st out of 130 teams in line yards per carry. And so that's a big-time credit to their running backs and to, to Evan Hole, as you said. I will give the offensive line this year a little bit more credit. They do have some potential All-Big Ten, All-Americans at Tackle and Saronsky and Whitaker. Mm-hmm. There is experience on the interior as well of that line. So... Maybe from last season to this season, there is going to be some growth for Northwestern. And if there is that kind of growth, that's then a dangerous recipe to combine with a guy like Hull. Northwestern also brings back a healthy Cam Porter who had some success in 2020 running the ball. And so now you've got a one-two punch where you can give Hull a little bit of rest in between reps. I still don't feel threatened at all by their air attack, which, again, plays into our strength where our secondary is maybe the biggest question we have on our defense just because we have guys who we haven't seen in that starting spot. Right. The more we hear out of camp, though, when you hear a confident Travis Fisher, to me that's a scary Travis Fisher because he's not he's not a loud confident. Right. He is a very quiet confident. So if he's putting those bugs out there saying he likes what his guys are doing, I have faith that Nebraska will be able to defend against what Northwestern puts through the air. Yeah. And as, and as much as Northwestern relies on their running attack and their defense to win them games, they have, um, at least in recent history, they've required a steady and consistent presence at quarterback. Uh, in, in their last two times that they went three and nine, they had at least three different guys playing quarterback. The last two times that they went to the Big Ten West, or won the Big Ten West and went to the championship game, they had one guy playing all their games at, at quarterback, one guy starting. So they need somebody that's consistent. Um, they're gonna they're gonna try out Ryan Holinsky again at that spot. He's not done a lot to prove himself to be that guy that can take them through the season and be successful. So I think again, I think that's the biggest question mark. And um, if he can, I mean, maybe he can. Maybe he can turn it on all of a sudden. Maybe he learns, takes a step forward. Maybe 
having an improved offensive line, having that running game going, maybe that does help him kind of settle in um, and show a little more consistency and provide more success for the team. But I also think you can't undersell the transition from an SEC offense to a Big Ten offense, and that might take a little bit more time to make that transition, which also is a negative against Nebraska too, right? We're bringing in a Big 12 quarterback and moving him into the Big Ten. I know that Nebraska's coaches have said, like, O'Shawn Mathis has had to get used to what it means to play in the Big Ten. That's part of the challenge with these transfers is how does their previous team match up? And when you're in college and you only have a finite amount of time, how, how much of that are you learning versus how much are you letting guys just go out and play versus how do they fit in? And Fitzgerald even said about Halinski that last year might as well have been a freshman year for him, that he was really starting at a ground zero for what Northwestern wanted to do. Yeah. So this is technically a sophomore year for him, and, and you do imagine that he'll be a little bit better, more comfortable in the system, but they don't really have weapons to throw the ball to. I don't know if they're going to be better than that 16.6 points per game. I would imagine they will because there's really no place to go but up mm-hmm. on that front. Uh, but they do have big hills to climb on the offensive side of the ball. Defense, again, I'm still in that situation where Pat Fitzgerald is, is still their head coach. So I'm, I'm not going to write, write off their defense. But on paper, I would attack the same way you would and, and run the ball to open up the pass and then start airing it out. Yeah. So I mean, what's, what's your overall feel of this game? Do you think that this is a win for Nebraska? Do you think this is a close game do you think this is a win for Northwestern how how are you feeling on this game it's a tough one it's it's tough because again it's in Ireland it's an opening game of the season it's an it's a conference it's divisional um it's all those things it's just like last year against Illinois I felt like like it's Illinois it's no problem you know they've got a new coach they're going to be going through some some turbulence and some hiccups that they might have to work through and we should be good and then we we go and drop the ball against them so we beat Northwestern handily last year. I think that's probably the one one game where we walked away feeling really good about ourselves yeah. um, overall. I expect us to win this game. I think that it's fair for us to be two touchdown favorites, even though that's a pretty big number. Yeah, I just I'm hesitant to be too confident because I'm afraid I, I will jinx us. Sure, you know, in that weird sort of fan voodoo way. Yeah, so. I I don't think you're alone there. I think a lot of people and myself included feel like. The whole season really rests on this one game, which is silly. It's a long season, and it's 12 games long, hopefully 13. I don't want to interrupt, but I, but um, I was watching a thing with, with Sean Callahan in the offensive line, and he talked about that last year about how you know, losing to Illinois out of the gate was, it was similar to getting a bogey on your first hole in a round of golf and how you just don't get that stroke back. You know, it can, it can completely put you off on the wrong foot for the rest of you know, the next 17, and so... I don't know. Anyway, that's that's it's a. I think it's a real thing. I think losing to what you would consider an inferior opponent when you have all this like, you know, hyped up energy, confidence going into you know, feeling like you put in the work in the off season, you're finally going to turn it around, and then you come out flat. Yeah, I mean, when you look at our offense versus their defense, I give our offense the leg up. When you look at our defense against their offense. I don't know if I would give our defense the leg up or if I give their offense the leg down, you know, and, <laughs> yeah. I, and I think Northwestern fans would agree with that, that that's a big question mark coming into this game is can we score points this year? Yeah. When it comes to coaching, though, that's where Northwestern is proven and Nebraska is not. Yeah. We haven't come out of the gate looking hot in a conference opponent, in a first game, in a whatever under Frost. So that to me will be a big tell as to what's the direction of this season going to go, what's the direction of his future going to go. 
I'm going to lean on the optimistic side and I'm going to say that we do beat Northwestern. I really hope it's not a close late game because I, I don't know if I could handle, you know, <laughs> being terrified of Oklahoma and three weeks after that, you know, and having how being scared of Georgia Southern. Honestly. Yeah. So, so there's a, there's a lot riding on it, but I'm going to go with the optimistic side saying the way that we match up on paper, Nebraska holds the definite advantage and I have Nebraska starting off the year, right? Scoring over 30 points in this game and the defense allowing more than they did last year because it is an opening game because Northwestern can run the ball because it takes a little bit to kind of settle in on that first game. Um, so I'm, I'm saying 32-17, but Nebraska more than covers. Okay, so I like that. they win by 15 and, and, and fly back in a, in a good mood. And as, as Chip Kelly says, when you win the game, you don't care how long the flight back is. <laughs> I like that. So moving right along to our next game in the Big Ten West, we've got Purdue, and Drew, the introduction is yours. All righty. All right. On October 15th, Nebraska heads to West Lafayette, Indiana, to take on the heavily hyped Purdue Boilermakers in a showdown between two programs looking to make a splash in the Big Ten West. The kickoff time and broadcast network is still to be determined, but I'm determined to start drinking at 7 a.m. regardless. The Purdue, or do-nots, are led by Jeff Brom in his sixth season as Boilermaker head coach. Last season, Purdue finished with a 9-4 record, tied for second in the Big Ten West, their best finish with Brom at the helm. The Huskers' matchup against the Boilermakers will serve as a bit of a rubber match between the two storied programs. Nebraska is 5-5 all-time against Purdue, and to quote Nancy Meyer's 2003 classic starring Jack Nicholson and Diane Keaton, Something's gotta give. Expectations are high for the Brahms squad as they look to explode this season. The Boilermakers returns. I'm not gonna be able to get through it. We got it the first day. You can skip it. All right. The Boilermakers return 17 starters from last year, including quarterback Aiden O'Connell, who looks to pick up Purdue's three game win streak from the end of 2021. Purdue's schedule lines up for the Boilermakers to get off to a promising start and potentially face Nebraska at 6-0. Will the Big Red be ready for a matchup on the mutually agreed-upon worst playing field in the Big Ten, or will the Boilermakers continue building steam? We'll find out when the train comes into the station on October 15th. All right. (laughs) This episode Uh, is very on-brand, right? We've got Brewery 719 and the Boilermakers. We've got an Irish Red for our game in Ireland. (laughs) (laughs) All right, you ready for some true or false? Uh, Yes, sir. Okay, Drew. Purdue, true or false? Everyone knows that. (laughs) Hey, come on, man. (laughs) You told me to lengthen these. (laughs) That's the way to do it. All right, let's go. Everyone knows that Mary of Tech, Queen of England from 1910 to 1936, was a prolific collector of jewels and jewelry. But did you know... Her prized jewel was a freshwater pearl from the waters of Indiana's Wabash River. No, it wasn't. You're wrong, bitch. What? <laughs> yeah. So wow. the most famous pearl taken from the Wabash River was found in the southern part of the river on the border of Indiana and Illinois. The pearl was the size of a marble with a beautiful white luster unmatched by any other pearl known at the time. Mary of Tech had it placed in the center of her royal necklace that she wore when she was crowned in 1910 at Westminster Hall. The pearl was, in fact, her favorite jewel. Wow. How very un-American of them to just give it away. You know, something tells me with British imperialism that they didn't... (laughs) (laughs) They didn't give it away. And my guess is the people who found it 
probably didn't get to keep it in the first place. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I can see that. But there you go. So, the the right. former Queen of England, her favorite jewel came from Indiana. From the Wabash River. The Wabash River. Who would have thought? All right, what do you got All for right, me? All right, here we go. <clears throat> Just, I'm going to say it, but it's not going to be the same. <laughs> Everyone knows... Everyone knows that the California School for the Deaf in Riverside won the 2021 state championship by going 11-0, and an incredible success story for an underdog program that will soon be featured as a TV series on Disney+. Plus. Oh, cool. Yeah. I'll tune in. But did you know Purdue's first-ever football coach, Albert Berg, was deaf? I mean, that has to be true. It was, honestly, we're... We're sponsored by Disney Plus. It's just a plug. It's just a no. That's true. It's true. Yeah, yeah he was deaf. Um, so <laughs> I, I wanted to do this one because the quotes that came out about the coach, like after his game and about his uh, or after his first game and in his coaching style, were just too good not to uh, not to chat about. So, okay. so his very first game was a forty-eight to six loss to Butler, and reporter George Aide, for whom the, the stadium is now named after. Uh, he described the loss as, quote, a low-comedy reproduction of the Custer Massacre at Little Bighorn. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, um, wait, so that, that reporter got the stadium named after yes, him? Yes, yes, after eviscerating their first head coach. What, did he, his what first, did he do? Did he turn around and coach the team to a national championship? I think championship? he turned around and threw money at the school. If that's, I had to. that's the sequel to the Disney+. Plus. <laughs> All right, well, heading into this matchup, Drew, you and I kind of disagree on what Purdue is going to be bringing to the table in, in 2022. Not kind of. Like, I think we really are going to disagree on them. Really? Yes. Yeah. Because so, you, you said you have them. Now, I don't know if we're going to give anything away here, but you have them finishing second I have in the West. the Big Ten West being decided by the Wisconsin-Purdue game. I think that Purdue has the firepower and the consistency and if they stick to playing their game, they have the weapons in place to play football the way that Jeff Braun wants them to play the game. I think Aiden O'Connell is one of the best quarterbacks in the country. I'm on the Purdue dark horse train because I think that their offense is predicated on having a guy like Aiden O'Connell who's confident, who knows the system, having a coach like Jeff Braun who fucks the run. I mean, he just doesn't care about it at all. You think Mark Whipple doesn't like to run the ball. Jeff Braun's like, he runs it too much. Yeah. You know, so... <laughs> I, I'm really high on this offense, and I think their defense can be serviceable enough, whereas in the Big Ten West, it's usually inverted, right? It's have a serviceable enough uh, offense and a, a power defense. I think that Purdue is almost doing what Scott Frost was trying to accomplish when he first came here, which is just this big aerial assault, throw the ball short, throw the ball long, get the ball out in space, and let playmakers make plays. And I think that they have the, the tools at hand to take advantage May not be for many years, but I think for this year, it might be that shock to the Big Ten West. Okay. Here's my, here's my counterpoint. I'm going to try to break this down uh, one, one piece at a time. Because I'm on the opposite end of the spectrum. I think that they're, I think Northwestern's at the bottom. I think that Purdue and Illinois are, and I'm higher on Illinois, but I think Purdue, yeah, I know. <laughs> I think Purdue is going to be, I think they're going to be around fifth. Really? I do. I do. So, and here's and here's why is because yes, Aiden O'Connell is a great quarterback, but he doesn't have any proven receivers to throw to. His top three guys are all gone from last year. They do not have a running game to speak of, and I don't think it's just because they shun it. Like they just 
It's mostly because they shun it. But, like, they're not good at running the ball. Last year almost felt like more of an anomaly. Like, with how unsuccessful as they were running the ball, the last time they had that bad of a, of a year running it, they went 1-11. and And so, like, for them to turn it around and go 9-4, and to me it's not uh, it's not a sign of, like, success. It's more of, like, they went against the norm. I think they're going to regress back to where they should have been with those sorts of stats. I also think going against the grain in the Big Ten West isn't always the best thing to do. Why would you say that? <laughs> <laughs> Iowa can do it without a quarterback. Wisconsin's done it without a quarterback. Northwestern's done it without a quarterback. If, you, if the only thing you have going for you is your quarterback in the Big Ten West, it, I don't know that that necessarily is enough. So when it comes to the quarterback play of Aiden, what I think is really crucial is also to understand the offensive line as far as their pass protection goes. And they are very good at giving him time to throw the ball. And it doesn't matter who you are. It's hard to defend the pass when the quarterback has time because your receivers will eventually get open. It doesn't matter that they don't have a guy like David Bell receiving when that offensive line is as productive as they are in their four losses last year. That line allowed 3.25 sacks per game. In their wins, they only allowed 1.8. So when they protect him and they give him time to throw the ball, Purdue is successful. And I think that that can only improve over this year. I think that offensive line is going to be as good, if not better. And I give the advantage to the fact that Aiden O'Connell's here for the one last ride. He's primed to be one of the next big deals in the quarterback position across the country. And I do think that that's enough to propel your offense in any league, let alone the Big Ten West, I think it's an I think it's enough to propel you to maybe put up some points or surprise people and to end up probably punch above your weight, which is what they I think they did that last so, year. So your too. argument is my argument happened last year. It it did already. It happened last year with star receivers. It happened last year with George Karloftis on defense. You know, keeping keeping the points down on the other side of the ball when the offense was struggling. It happened with their star players. Now they're now they're without that. Uh, the only thing I think that that helps them again in terms of like exceeding expectations, not exceeding. I, I think their expectations are too high, so I don't think they will exceed expectations. But exceeding my expectations is their schedule and just how fucking weak it is this year. Yeah, um, I think it's, they're like almost guaranteed to have a winning record if they just fucking stumble through it. So they've got. Penn State, Indiana State, Syracuse, FAU, Minnesota, Maryland, Nebraska, Wisconsin, Iowa, Illinois, Northwestern, and Indiana. So you go through that. you got Indiana State's a win. FAU's probably going to be a win. Maryland's going to be a win. Illinois, Northwestern, Indiana. I mean, yeah, there's to me, there's a 6-6 six and six record in there real easily. I've got yeah. Purdue's floor, though, at eight wins. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, see, and I got them at five because – Again, like again, I think that they're just gonna they're gonna regress back to what they should have been last year, which was not a nine win team. I just I don't know I, I I don't foresee I don't think Brahm is that kind of coach where the regression is gonna happen with the star quarterback in play. And I and again it it sounds like a weak argument maybe against what you're saying, but I'm too stubborn to come off it. <laughs> <laughs> there's not I mean there's nothing like I understand I understand why like I I'm not saying I can't envision it. Yeah. And and I'm I'm probably in the minority in terms of belief, like a disbelief in what Purdue is gonna do, sure, or what they're trying to do and what they're producing. So, I wouldn't be surprised if they went nine and three again. 
I just think that, again, you, you look at the kind of mind and the composure and the kind of player that O'Connell is, where he's throwing at almost 70 72% completion rate last year. His touchdown to interception ratio was 28 to 11. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a really strong look in the Big Ten where interceptions, you know, they happen, and they happen quite frankly because you're playing against great linebackers. You're playing against great uh, secondaries. So I just think that, yeah, you, you, you can't count them out just because they don't have a, a star maker. Let me ask you this. If you could choose to either have a star quarterback or a star wide receiver, which would you take? Okay, well, that's... Okay, I would, yeah, star quarterback, but that's because it's the most important position. But the, you can't. Cool. I agree. <laughs> I'm glad that you agree. <laughs> but that's more to do with like it's just harder to find yeah, star quarterbacks. You're right. But it's not. But Everybody it's not like do. just. <laughs> I'll. I, all right. Here's my. Here's my last argument. Here's okay. my last argument. In the last four seasons, how many times do you think that Purdue has finished in the top two in the Big Ten in pass yards per game? Once. Four times. Okay. Four to, all four Point seasons. proven. Amazing, right? Yeah. Last year, nine and three. The years before that, two and four, four and eight, six and seven. It does, I don't see what you're <laughs> trying to say. <laughs> slinging the ball, slinging the ball like crazy is not a, guaranteed, a guarantee for success. So <laughs> in 2017 and 2018, when they went bowling, they went six and six both years. They, they won one bowl and they lost one bowl. Uh, their average per carry was four and a half yards. The past few years, it's only been just over three yards per carry. They, if they can't, if they do not have a run game, they don't have a winning record. Okay, that's my that's I guess that's just my that's my end all be all argument. If sure. you don't, if you can't get over four yards per carry this year, if you're Purdue to to complement that that pass game, I I they're still gonna have a fucking winning record because they're. Schedule shit, which is which makes me kind of mad. Like I want them to have a tough schedule, so that we can pull the Scooby Doo mask off of them. But. What I what I do like though is that they open immediately with Penn State. I think you'll know a lot about Purdue based on the first game and how effective is this attack. Yeah. The thing that that really gets to me though is is and maybe this is more about being a Nebraska fan for the past however many years is they have an offensive identity at least. They have something they can hang their hat on. They know what game they're going out to play, and maybe I'm jealous of that because I don't know what our offensive identity is or has been for a long time. I mean, it's been the quarterback run. Like, that is what Nebraska's identity is. Yeah. And that's not effective. It's a shitty, shitty identity. Well, for, for a list of reasons, not only that you can't keep your quarterback healthy, you can't rely on them to to make those plays. I mean, it's it's a glorified running back in that sense, and that cuts your quarterback short. That takes away all the options that are there for the quarterback. But Purdue has an identity. They have the player in place to live that identity to its fullest and they can plug in some wide receivers in this instance because they've been good at giving Aiden O'Connell time. They're able to get their guys open. They've got sure-handed tight ends who make those third and long catches that just absolutely piss you off time after time. So no matter how far they are behind the sticks, they've prepared for that situation. So I give them a lot of credit on that front. I can see the argument that the what I think is happening this season happened last season, but I think that there's one more stepping stone forward before that regression hits, before the Big Ten West catches up to what they're doing on offense. Cool. Fair enough. I, I will continue to disagree, but that's why we play the game. And Absolutely. I'm, I'm actually, like, super excited for Purdue-Penn State. That's going to be a good game. It's going to be a hell of a good game. Yeah. yeah. Great great start to the season. Yeah. So, Purdue's defense. Do they play defense? or? <laughs> <laughs> the, the big thing with Purdue's defense is they're really good about getting guys, you know, getting teams 
behind the sticks and they're really good about getting off the field on third down when they put them in those long situations. You mentioned they don't have Karloftis this year. They have his little brother. So maybe that'll mean something, but um, they, they have lost some of their star power, some of their, let me say that without my voice cracking. <laughs> but to me, the, the, the biggest issue with Purdue, and it goes back to kind of what we were saying with Northwestern is inconsistency on who's calling defense. And they brought in Ron English after the departure of Brad Lambert to Wake Forest, who must really just love black and gold. He's like, oh, there's another black and gold team I'm going to go. <laughs> but last year was probably a defining year for Purdue's defense in, in previous seasons. I mean, they were 24th in the FBS for limiting explosive plays, 36th in the country on offensive success rate, and they were 19th in third down conversions, which is absolutely, those are huge numbers. So I can see where that 9-4 and four season came from last year. Maybe I'm under the impression that they've got some guys left around from last year who can make that step forward again and continue to build on that. There's going to be a lot of challenges, but I just think that the offense is going to be that much better to compensate for a defense taking a step back. Okay, I can see that. I can see that balancing out. I think the I think George Karloftis was a had a, such a huge impact on you know offenses um, focusing on taking him out of plays that allowed their defense to maybe. Um, excel a little more than they will this year without him. I think also losing Brad Lambert is a big time hit. Last year, I remember when I found out they had three co-defensive coordinators. I almost scoffed at the <laughs> idea. Like it seemed, I don't know. It just seemed absurd. Would you call those co or but those like tri defensive? I don't. Yeah, I don't know what you would. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it worked. Like they really did do an incredible job on the defensive side um, with all of the the new staff in flipping this defense and getting it into shape. And so now, yeah, it's a question of, can they do it without the star power? Can they do it without that guy calling the plays? And adjust again. So what is what is scary for this Purdue defense, you know, question marks aside, is they do return over 70% of their production in their secondary. And at a team that's going to be practicing against that offense, that's a lot of good on good. That's a lot of great reps. And I yeah. expect them to be a solid secondary coming into this season. And it's going to make it difficult to pass against them, which is what scares me from Nebraska offensive side, not knowing what we're going to look like, but what we're hearing and seeing in these players we're acquiring. I think Purdue is going to be a challenging game for Nebraska. It could, it could be if Purdue's offense is clicking and it's tough to throw on them, then yeah, getting into a shootout is not what you want to do. Right. Yeah, but that said, I Nebraska, the way that they've built this defense this year with the guys that they've brought in, um, especially the guys like O'Shawn Mathis and revamping their, their secondary, I feel like of all the teams in the Big Ten West, they match up most favor, favorably against taking down Purdue. Like okay. the attacking Purdue's strength. So you see them as one of the teams that are going to get in the backfield and get those sacks where Purdue struggles, Dis- yes, right? They're going to yes. disrupt Disrupting that. what yeah. Purdue wants to do. Whereas, like, a team like Iowa is like, cool, fucking go after Petrus all you want. We don't give a shit. We don't even <laughs> like him. <laughs> you know, like... <laughs> you know, But you know what I mean? Like, the whole the whole Big Ten West is predicated on, like, this, like, smash mouth, smash mouth, run the ball down, the, down your gut. So, like, whatever you're bringing off the edge, um, a lot of these teams can negate with their run game. Purdue, I don't think it's going to be able to do that. They're so reliant on passing the ball that if Nebraska is successful in what they're trying to do with the pass rush, um, I think that we will find success there. So you like the way that like their receivers, the fact that they don't have as experienced guys go against our secondary. You probably love 
the, what the linebackers will match up against as far yes. as like the short ball, the slants, yes. the, 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 the quick outs, the tight ends, that sort of thing. And yeah. then you're saying, hey, try and run it on us. Yes. This is, this is of, like, of all the teams in the Big Ten West, I don't know, for whatever reason, this is the one team that I feel the most confident about going against, which sounds probably fucking crazy. <laughs> to me, it does. Yeah. Where I'm thinking these are going to be the <laughs> number two guys in the yeah, West. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just think it. I just think it lines up really well for us. That's all. That's all I think. But sure. I might be completely fucking way off. I, you know, I might be. Um, we've had you and I have had conversations about like confirmation bias and how that can get in the way. You know, if if you as soon as you peg, you know, Purdue for example, as you know, not as good as everybody says they're going to be, then you want to you want to prove that right, right, over and over again. So you'll dig up everything you can and you'll ignore the rest. I think that you make a lot of great arguments, but I think that they're wrong. <laughs> No, thank you. I, thank I, you. I stand I, corrected. No, I, <laughs> you're right. No, I, I think that you make a lot of great points, and I think that that's the beauty of the game, right? That's why yeah. we play it. That's the beauty of this this division. Yeah, the West Division and the Big Ten has to, it has to be. I don't. I'm not like super familiar with all the other divisions, but this has to be the craziest fucking like the most unpredictable division in college football, right? I, I think it One is the them. most prime for self sabotage, like with Northwestern, where they like squeaked away with 2020 just because they lost to the right people. Yeah. And I, I just think the Big Ten West, like that, the bottom and the middle, even up to close to Wisconsin, like Wisconsin's the top dog, quote unquote, but like, I don't know, it's all so fucking compact and any team could, any team could take it in any given year. Yeah. And, and, and that is what makes it really difficult to kind of pontificate. Yeah. It also makes it difficult as a Nebraska fan to um, just be okay with, like, this is the reality that you live in yeah. and you can't just take this division by the throat every year. You're you're scuffling around in the. It'll be interesting too. Then when when you when you add in some Pac-12 teams into the Big Ten, because that's also another conference and uh, that that tends to you know self sabotage where they they eat one another. They do and then cannibal, it's like, yeah, cannibalize each and other. Everyone's and everyone's like, hey, you know, Utah might win it this year, or or Washington or Washington State, just because. Well, not. <laughs> Sorry, I mean, come on, Wazoo. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, prediction for Purdue. I mean, do you have a do you have a score prediction? Do you have what you think this game's going to look like? Um, no, I didn't. I didn't put down any actually score predictions for this week or um, last week. Did I? Did I completely <laughs> swing and a miss on that one too? Huh? That's all right. Boy, it doesn't I am matter. not putting in work. Um, no, I like I said. I I feel like Nebraska just matches up really well with this. I could see Purdue putting up, you know, like upper twenties, twenty eight, thirty points on us. But I think we get to the forty mark against them, and so I don't know 40, 40, 41, 31, something like that. Okay, would be my well, guess. You're probably going to guess that I disagree, uh, and I actually see this as a loss for Nebraska. Yeah, coming into yeah. The, this game, and I, I again, I just I trust the firepower of that of that offense, and so I see it as a close one. I see Nebraska getting into a shootout with Purdue. Tired of that word, Ben. Yeah. Tired of watching my friend spiral away from his <laughs> Nebraska fandom, turning into a little Purdue boilermaker over here. <laughs> it's disgusting. You know what? The tattoo was. <laughs> <laughs> it was a moment of weakness, and I thought the train looked cool. And and here we are. It looks like Thomas Thomas the Choo Choo Train, but with Aiden O'Connell's face on it. Yeah, it's yeah, it's impressive. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually pretty cool. I was promised an NIL no. deal, but <laughs> nothing came to fruition. Uh, in fact, I wound up having to pay Purdue. <laughs> I oh, have man. I have like I said, Nebraska getting into a shootout with yeah. Purdue on this one. Uh, I think Purdue comes out on top, thirty eight thirty four. It's a close one. It's a heartbreaker, and we go ah. Damn it, we lost to Purdue again because we just can't get out of our minds that Purdue can be good, that they're capable of being good. But, you know, they've they've beat Ohio State more recently than we have. They beat Ohio Iowa 
uh, more recently than we have. They're known to slay some giants, and I think that they might have the staff to play that out on their full identity. Good news, we're not giants. <laughs> so... <laughs> Before we move on, we want to take a quick moment to talk about our show partner, the Nebraska Craft Brewers Guild. As we mentioned at the top of the show, Wannabe Walk-Ons is the official podcast of the NCBG. We do our show with no outside funding or advertising because we don't want to take away from what it's all about. Beer, football, and celebrating the communities we love. Our partnership with the Guild is not a paid partnership. It's simply a platform to share our show with folks we think will enjoy the things we're talking about. This past winter, the Guild was instrumental in passing legislation that would allow Nebraska brewers to self-distribute limited quantities of their beer without the need for a middleman. This new law allows the smaller brewers a chance to compete locally with some of the bigger craft brewers in the state. This is a huge step forward for a lot of the breweries in small towns like Taylor, Alliance, Seward, and Syracuse, just to name a few. When you drink craft beer, you're supporting local businesses, which is important now more than ever. So if you're a fan of craft beer like we are, you can support the NCBG by joining the Nebraska Beer Alliance. Being a member gives you access to exclusive discounts, Nebraska beer merch, and members-only information. You can learn more about the Nebraska Craft Brewers Guild, find local breweries, and join the Nebraska Beer Alliance by visiting nebraska.beer. So moving into our second sampling from Brewery 719, we have a beer here, Drew, called Beam. And when I was at the brewery, I asked them, what's what's your flagship beer? Like, what's the one that goes down easy for everyone? And they actually recommended, which is kind of rare for a brewery to put a recommendation forward like this, they recommended this Beam, which is a Scottish-style ale or a Scottish export ale. What do you think about this one? I can see why they put it forward as their recommended beer. It's it's If anything's rare to me, it's that you should have a Scottish ale as your flagship. A lot of the times it's like a pale ale, a lager, an IPA, that sort of thing. Yep. And so um, I think it's really cool that they went that they went this route. Scottish ales kind of scare me sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a style I generally prefer because, not because I haven't found good ones, but because I've found some that for whatever reason, like I just don't agree with, like the maltiness. Yeah. Um, a lot of the time that like smoked peat style yep. that, that comes through, it's just, it's too much for me. It's too aggressive. It's it'd be like drinking like a tall glass of scotch. Yeah, really. You yeah. know, and it's like there's a reason that we only sip on that. So this is this is great. Yeah, this absolutely. Is, this is good. It's still it's still got that great multi quality, but again, it's just not like over the top, beat you down, aggressive. I I have a hard time believing that this is a Scottish ale, and I think that I've not encountered a whole lot of Scottish style ales. So I think that this this takes a lot of the Scottish qualities that are really nice and really easy to drink, the multi quality, the little bit of bitterness. And mixes them almost with a light lighter ale. This has a to me like a a, a a nice malty and a nice spice flavor to it, like a like a uh, a bitters sort of flavor, like that you would add to a drink. There's almost a cola like quality to this, like a, a handcrafted cola, where you get those spices and you get those sweetness notes, and it's not overly bitter and it's really light. It's really drinkable. So when Joe at the brewery said, "Hey, try this beam, this Scottish style ale," I was like, "Man." That's what you're, these, these railway workers are fucking tough, man. Like everyone's out here drinking Scottish ales because they do, they are like drinking whiskey. Mm -hmm. They tend to have that real strong, hot, heavy backbone. They're almost akin more to like a barrel aged stout or a barrel aged barley wine than they are just a sippable, drinkable beer. And this just breaks all expectations. Yeah. And it's still fun, fun to drink. There's like, I don't know, it sounds weird, but it's like a playful quality too. Um, to it after that first sip it it just kind of pops on the tongue so 
Yeah. I like it. I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan of everything that 719 has done. I also had a, a sour from 719, but I did not have you try that. Thank you. It was a raspberry sour. Tasted like actual raspberries. Had some nice grassiness, some freshness to it that balanced out that sour flavor. So it was a really well-balanced one. It's one that I actually would have put in front of you and been like, I think you might actually kind of find some things you like you know, about yeah. this. <laughs> I've been surprised by raspberry beers on this podcast, so... It still wouldn't have been your jam. Not yeah, that's but, right. but it would that's have been right. one where you go. You know what? This isn't this isn't a typical sour sour. This is something where there's definitely complexity and thought that went into it. So, yeah. if you find yourself in Alliance, or if you come across any small liquor stores or anything like that where you might see Brewery Seven Nineteen, if you find them at a beer festival, we highly recommend you give them a try. The drive out there, if you're like doing a Western Nebraska brewery tour, maybe you're doing flyover in Scotts Bluff, take the forty-five hour minute. One hour minute. It's a one hour minute drive. <laughs> Take the 45 minute to hour drive up north to Alliance. You will not be disappointed. Not only is it a great brewery, but the community itself is beautiful. It's a great place to go explore beautiful parks, things like that. Go see Carhenge. Ashton Kutcher and Mila Kunis were just out there not too long ago. <laughs> and if it's good for them, God damn it, it's good enough for you. <laughs> All right. Rolling right along on October 29th. The Illinois Fighting Illini are set to visit Lincoln, Nebraska to take on the Huskers in a rematch of last year's Illinois Week Zero loss. <laughs> the Illinois game time is still yet to be announced as networks are waiting to see if the Nebraska-Illinois game will be a deciding factor in the Big Ten West <laughs> and worthy of a primetime spot. Brett Bielema enters his second season as Illinois' head coach on the heels of a 5-7 and seven record last year. The last time... The last time... <laughs> the Scottish beers... <laughs> The last time Illinois went 5-7, and seven, 2015, Nebraska was also one of those five wins as the Illini scored the upset 14-13. In the season that followed, however, Illinois ended up going 3-9 and nine, and Nebraska was able to avenge its loss in Lincoln. Hopefully, and I say this in regards to football only, history can repeat itself. The Huskers hold the advantage all time against Illinois with a record of 13-5-1, but find themselves on a two-year skid with losses in both 2021 and 2020. But then again, it's hard to find an opponent who hasn't had Nebraska's number as of late. Most national pundits see Illinois finishing at the bottom or near bottom of the Big Ten West, but still scoring a bull bid. Six and six is attainable for the boys in Blorange in the Big Ten West, prime for self-sabotage. With so many teams in the Big Ten West needing some forward momentum, it's a real crapshoot trying to figure out which will emerge victorious. Bielema is two years into developing Wisconsin Oys, and by most accounts, production is ahead of schedule. Will Bielema and the gang continue onward and upward, or will a Nebraska roadblock be enough to piss on their parade? We'll find out if those metaphors make sense when Illinois takes on Nebraska October 29th. Time for everyone's favorite game show, True or False, baby. Woo. What do you got for me All on right. the Illinois front? All right, here we go. Everybody knows that hookers are incredibly vulnerable. <laughs> <laughs> Let me get through it. <laughs> All right. Everyone knows that hookers are incredibly vulnerable to spinal cord injuries, even though rugby is considered a safer sport than American football. For those of you who don't know, <laughs> hookers, a hooker, is a, is a position in rugby. I did not know that. No, I was I about to lecture you <laughs> on that term. They're in the middle of the scrum. Anyway, did you know... From 1906 to 1915, Illinois football was discontinued in favor of rugby because football was deemed, quote, too dangerous by school officials. I mean, they play like a team 
that had a gap in their football. (laughs) (laughs) But also, rugby might be an even more violent sport. But if I was to guess, I would say that that's... I just, I hate so much being wrong, which is funny when you hear about how passionate I was about Purdue. (laughs) I'm going to say false. You're going to put your eggs in the Purdue basket? Yeah, I'm going to say false. That's false. I don't think you've missed a true false. Not this episode, but maybe not. No, I I missed quite a few last episodes. You just don't remember that episode. I don't remember. (laughs) That one is lost. (laughs) Oh, uh, yeah, no, that's false for Illinois. It happened at Cal Berkeley. Okay, that makes more sense. So, yeah, yeah. Um, Same years and everything. Uh, They just said, hey. Football's dangerous, and it's actually like been—I don't know if it's been proven in studies, but it's been hypothesized, and then the data backs it up. But those studies were sponsored by like International Rugby, whatever association. So, little, that, it's, that little, it's a less violent sport, or less, yeah, but yeah. So like less injuries overall, although they do have more spinal cord injuries, less brain oh. injuries, more spinal cord injuries. But the game is actually less violent, and it has everything to do with like lack of pads, lack of helmets. So people no are just more conscious. Uh, they're more conscious of the. Yeah, they're they're uh, they're more the, aware of like smashing into each other. Because if you slam into somebody in football, you are padded. You don't necessarily feel it. You don't have a helmet on your head. You don't have like that projectile. Your eyes in rugby are always forward. Receivers are always looking back for the ball, like that sort of thing. So there's yeah. a lot of little nuances to the the game of football that kind of uh, create those dangerous situations. But yeah. not to say that we need to, you know shy away from football here and, and get into rugby but there you go nice yeah that's a good one all right i like how that true or false had nothing to do with illinois <laughs> it had everything to do with uh did it no yeah you're right it had nothing to do with illinois uh, i remember it so i was looking for illinois true or false stuff no i was looking for yeah i was looking for illinois true or false stuff and um couldn't find anything but then i found that little fact about cal and i was like fuck it i'll just shove <laughs> illinois name. <laughs> Into it. And We're then, never going to play California schools in the regular <laughs> season. <laughs> All right. Give All me right. your true false before this goes off the rails. Everyone. <laughs> All right. So here's my Illinois true or false. All right. Every St. Patrick's Day since 1962, the Chicago River is dyed green in celebration of the holiday. True. True or false. The dye sure. used in the river has caused massive riverbed erosion, creating unnatural low points and contributing to the phenomenon known as retrofluentum, in which river water changes its flow of direction. What does this have to do with Chicago's in Illinois? The I was thinking of the University of Illinois. Do they study football? Do they study do they study football? Do they study river erosion? No, it just it just ha- it's in it's in Illinois. Chicago's in Illinois. I'm aware. I'm aware. Yeah, Mine yeah, yeah. is closer than yours. <laughs> <laughs> um, I feel like once they found this out, they'd stop doing it. So, but <laughs> what <and> again? <laughs> No, they wouldn't. That's the worst part. I would want them to stop doing this. I'm going to say that it's true. They probably don't give a shit. It's false. God damn it. But it's interesting in, in that it's false. So the Chicago River actually did have its flow changed, but it had nothing to do with dying the river. Okay. And I made up retrofluentum. I like went on and, <laughs> <laughs> and, and looked up fluid and backwards in Latin and yeah. came up with a phrase. Oh, nice. So... Here's, here's where this comes from. For most of its history, the Chicago River sluggishly moved water from the plains to Lake Michigan. When raw sewage and other pollutants were dumped in the river, they flowed into Chicago's primary source of drinking water. As the city grew, fear of disease spread, and officials decided to permanently reverse the river's flow, sending its polluted water to the Mississippi River instead. 
A tw- <laughs> Fuck you, downriver. <laughs> Fuck all of the states to the Gulf. So okay. a 28-mile-long canal <laughs> was built between the Chicago River and the rivers that drain into the Mississippi. When a steam shovel removed the last of the dirt separating the river from the Chicago Sanitary and Ship Canal on a cold January morning in 1900, the river emptied into the canal and began pulling water from the lake. The eight-year project was named one of the seven wonders of engineering by the American Society of Civil Engineers and in 1999 was named the Civil Engineering Monument of the Millennium. They literally changed the flow of a river. Yeah, to drop all of their shit on everybody (laughs) south of them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who gets so who it gets used it? to flow into Lake Michigan. Now Lake Michigan flows <laughs> into us. So the fighting Illini, Drew. Yep. Are they going to put up a fight against Nebraska? Is Nebraska going to have a, a struggle with them? Yes. You think so? I shouldn't say that. I am high on I'm high on the Illini. Um and I was last year too. You're on an Alia high? <laughs> a lion a lion high? Fighting a lie high. I I uh, looked back at my notes from them last year. Yeah, and I put I said that they were going to exceed expectations and go four and eight. Okay, and then they went five and seven. They did exceed. They really did exceed. Yeah, uh, I think Bielema just fits fits really well with this team. Um, I think that his what he wants to do, his style, his his familiarity with the Big Ten, with the Big Ten West, the chaos of the Big Ten West, it all just melds perfectly for them to successful yeah and so yeah i think that they continue to to move forward and make progress this year do you feel like progress is going to be bigger on the offensive side of the ball or the defensive side of the ball that's a that's a really good question that we will answer next (laughs) (laughs) we'll find out after this season i i ask that because i i kind of have a i don't know a preconceived notion that i think that their offense is going to improve more drastically than the defense only because the defense already it had their already big lead yeah take a step i think there's a lot of guys on that offense that return like with chase brown and josh mccray i think that there's going to be a really solid running attack in illinois and in my inter- introduction i called them kind of like a wisconsin mini they really have quickly shaped themselves into such whereas under lovey smith again they lacked identity but under brett bielema he immediately gave them an identity it's like we're going to be a good defensive team who runs the ball and throws it just enough when we need to. Yeah, he did. He brought in Ryan Walters. Uh, I think he came from Missouri um, as the defensive coordinator last year. Now, he did. He flipped it around in a hurry. It was their best defensive year statistically in a decade. Which is crazy because Walters wasn't known for quick turnarounds. He was known for turning it around, and I think it took three years at Missouri for him to get that ship righted. And, and man, they made a big jump in just one season. Yeah, yeah, right away. Um, and so I think that's a that's probably a credit to Bielema and like tabbing his guy, like finding his his coach that he knows will fit along with him, fit along with the players that he has, fit along with his vision. Um, he's doing that again on the offensive side, bringing in a new coordinator this year, uh, Barry Lunny Jr. So Barry came, comes from from UTSA, who beat Illinois last year. Yes. Uh, because they had Husker fatigue, baby. <laughs> yeah, right. We wore them down. <laughs> and then UTSA S- serve him up on a silver platter. Yeah, yeah, for the Roadrunners. Um, but no, so so Barry Lunny um, is not entirely unfamiliar with with Brett Bielema. They worked together at Arkansas, and and Brett actually kind of brought um, this guy into the college ranks out of high school. So he discovered him while. He was coaching down in Arkansas. And I thought you were going to say he was a junior in high school. And so, he was like, this guy's got <laughs> talent. Guy, yeah. Oh, man. As soon as he was allowed to drink legally, he was brought, <laughs> yeah, called up to the big leagues. 
they're very familiar with each other and and whatever Brett saw in him you know very early on he still you know as as identified as as um you know something that can that can help Brett Bielema in, yeah. in Illinois so he's brought him into the fold here their their biggest question mark it's going to be similar to um Northwestern it's quarterback yeah. I think they've got they've got a lot of pieces around them where they can be successful, but they're bringing in a transfer in Tommy DeVito out of Syracuse, and so it'll be interesting to see if if he's able to find success here with Illinois after really a questionable career. Sure, with the Orange. The thing that scares me about Illinois' offense is shoot, Brandon Peters went out early on in that Nebraska game, and then Arthur Stokowski came in and. <laughs> threw 80 percent on nebraska and had two touchdowns no interceptions you know you're licking your chops saying all right the starting quarterback went down and then illinois showed their heart yeah and that to me is is where the strength of coaches like a brett bielema who are getting his guys bought into the message that's when they can become dangerous while they're still in that building form it's 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 a little bit of the intangibles it's maybe a little bit of a cop-out when you're you know making an argument for illinois to say it's not statistic based it's based on their heart you know it sounds like gene hackman and the replacements but <laughs> i i do believe that when you're in those early stages of getting the rebuild in that there's going to come times where you just got to put the team on someone's shoulders and they have the guys who can do that and who did do that do that last year so i think that this will be an illinois team that gets to six wins and i think that they have the offensive tools to get there even if quarterback play isn't 100%. I have more faith in Illinois' offensive tools than I do in Northwestern's, per se, the, the guys that they return. Oh, 100%. Yeah, yeah. They've they've got pieces that they can lean on and rely on. And I think buying into a new coach and a new philosophy and style and all that stuff, I think that's a very real thing. You know, buying is, uh, what are you? What sort of effort are you putting in when things are going against you, when, mm-hmm. uh, when you're losing, when you're hurt, when you're tired, when you're... I don't know, your girlfriend dumps you. It's like, it's it's all shit that like, how much does this game matter to you? How much does winning matter to you? So that's a real thing. And I think Brett Bielema has instilled that pretty quickly in Illinois. And I think we, yeah, I think we do continue to see success from them. So even if, even if Tommy DeVito doesn't work out, which I actually think he will, I think yeah. that Syracuse, I think his career at Syracuse is kind of cursed and with his offensive line. I think he's in a, in a better situation here. Yeah, I think I, I don't know. I'm I'm higher on Illinois than I am on Purdue. I'll tell you that. Wow. I know okay. we can we can so disagree, we disagree there. there. But, but um, what I do think Illinois has also going for them, and you mentioned it a little bit about Tommy DeVito coming from Syracuse and having a weak offensive line. Brett Bielema is very open about what he expects from his offensive line. Last year, he had a quote where he talked about like, "There's nobody on this line that we've recruited who can really do anything in the two deep for us," and that's a pretty damning statement. And that came mid season. Yeah. So he called out his team in the media saying, like, we don't have anybody who can really run what we run or want. We don't have anybody who can run what we really want. <laughs> Third Give time's my, a charm. Yeah. <laughs> we don't have anybody <laughs> who can run what we really want to run. There we go. There go. Hey. hey did it. So when you go out and you recruit and that's out in the ether and you're an offensive lineman, you go, hey. That's the coach I want to play for. He's not going to give me a break. And to me, again, that's those kind of things that start to scare you where stars don't matter. Three stars, four stars, five stars, it doesn't matter. If you're the kind of guy who wants to play for that coach, you're going to live up to that expectation that might even be higher than a fourth star or something along those lines. So I have a lot of faith in this offensive line coming along really well this year. You do have, again, a new coordinator, but like you said, he's familiar with uh, what Bielema brings to the table. He's familiar with Bielema. So I think they're going to gel pretty damn well together and get off to a quick start they're going to run what they want to run 
and really established that run first Wisconsin style offense that Bielema ran, you know, back when they thrashed Nebraska in 2012 in the Big Ten Championship. I like their offense. They feel a little bit like Rutgers to me in the sense that they're going to be a team that might be better than their record. Uh, but they're going to be a team that you look at and go, man, they're going to be kind of a pain in the ass. How do you see Nebraska matching up against them? Like, you're, if you're high on Illinois, yeah. How do you feel like we're going to do against them? From a from a just how what's the what are we are we going to win, <laughs> man? Are we going to win this year? We haven't even or? talked about their defense yet, man. <laughs> I felt like we covered their defense when we said they took a step forward and they're going to be better. Oh well, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> okay. I felt like that was good enough, but so but they do like so. Okay, all right, we'll go. We can go. We can talk about their defense. Okay. That defense made a huge step forward with with Ryan Walters. Um, specifically, some of the major jumps they made, they went from 97th to 29th in the country in scoring defense and 114th to 46th in total defense. Now, a 5-7 and seven team being 46th in the country in total defense, that tells you that there's something nasty brewing there, that they're going to really be able to, to make a big impact. They do have a lot of question marks on their defense. They did lose a fair amount of players, but you're going to have names like Keith Randolph, Johnny Newton, Calvin Hart Jr., Devin Witherspoon, Tavon Nicholson, Sidney Brown, who was their leading tackler last year. You're going to have a lot of these names that are going to start to emerge with Illinois, and they're going to get some good run. They're going to be names you hear frequently, and they're going to be names that might be third-team Big Ten by the end of the year, second-team Big Ten, and maybe even some first-teamers. Sidney Brown has really high expectations coming into this season as maybe one of the premier safeties in the league, and is the kind of coach that's going to hold them all to that standard. I expect you all to be first-team Big Ten. Now, it's not going to happen for Illinois because – they're not going to have the eyes. They're not going to have the talent, what have you. But I do think that this is going to be a defense that con- continues to stay consistent and may even make a minor improvement on top of what they did last year. Yeah, I think, and I think the most important thing for them is that they return key pieces from every level of the defense. They along the line in the that middle linebacker spot again in in, in safety and cornerback. I think that that continuity is going to be huge for them. And also, just to, to talk about uh, Randolph and Newton there on the edges, those are young guys. Those are, I think they're both sophomores, and those mm-hmm. are just great fucking bookends for this team that I, I'm excited to see how their careers actually develop yeah. here at Illinois as they're playing alongside one another just to see what they can do. But I think they're going to take a, an even bigger step forward this year in terms of, of getting in the backfield and, and attacking opposing offenses. I think that the defense is going to be the strength for Illinois, yeah. and I think that that's okay. Illinois I mean if you're going to make a choice in the Big Ten Big Ten West especially do you want to have a defense ahead of schedule or an offense ahead of schedule you're going to take the defensive side of the ball because that's going to keep you in more games there's just not as many explosive offenses in this league so I expect Illinois to be competitive this year to be a pain in the ass for everyone they play you might get blown out here and there but I, I think Illinois just has that serviceable defense and if the offense can match or start to make a step forward, you're gonna find a team that might walk out of here with a winning record, not just a, a five hundred record. Yeah. And I and I think I think they do. I think they do. I think an, another key um to finding that success and getting that like, you know, that seventh win, say on the season, it's gonna be in producing turnovers. They lost five interceptions to Joseph Kirby. Kirby Joseph. Two first names threw me off there. <laughs> Kirby Joseph took five interceptions with himself to the NFL. And yeah. so generating turnovers is the best way for the defense to help an offense, especially a growing offense. And so if they can find if they have if they have guys there that can that that can do that, create that those chaos plays and, and get themselves off the field and hand the ball back to the offense and give them an, another opportunity to put points on the board, I think that's gonna go a long way in improving the season for them. Sure. 
when I look at this game overall, I really think that Nebraska holds the skill advantage that they have the talent to best Illinois. But again, Illinois had a whole season where they knew what their identity was. They're going to keep moving towards that identity. They're going to keep building upon that. I'm clearly this whole episode been very high on identity, right? Establishing right. who you are and playing to that, not worrying so much about what the other team is doing and just trying to execute the version of you that's best. I don't think that Bielema brought in an offensive coordinator that is against what they were doing last year. He's not going to turn his head to what they were trying to do last year. It's going to be a run-first attack. They're going to rely on Chase Brown going into this season. So I see a hard-fought battle between Nebraska and Illinois. And again, it's going to be like the Purdue game where it's going to piss a lot of people off. We should be routing these teams, not being in line with them. But this episode is should be called the measuring stick, right? This is who we are currently measuring ourselves against. Next week is who we want to be measuring ourselves against. But this week is where we are right now. Yeah. If we can sweep these three games and take all three of those, then we can start worrying about Minnesota, Iowa, Wisconsin, and saying that that's who we should be comparing ourselves to. Yeah. Oh, next next week's episode is going to be very sobering compared to this one. Yeah. <laughs> then I'm going to break out some barrel age. <laughs> so, yeah, when uh, it comes to this game, I do think that it's a hard-fought battle. I think it's going to be one where it's a close score. I do have Nebraska taking the win, but I have it being a, a, a game where the score doesn't indicate the kind of game it was. I have Nebraska 29, Illinois 18. So I do have Nebraska winning pretty handily by by two scores, but it's not a comfortable two scores. It's a maybe we got a field goal late just to add a little bit of buffer in case something goes fucking wrong in the last second. Okay. And again, no score predictions from me. <laughs> Keeping those in my back pocket for next time. Uh, <laughs> Can't be wrong if you don't <laughs> if you don't throw out a prediction. Right? I'm but I'm I'm in the same boat. Again, I'm I'm really I don't know, I'm just for whatever reason I'm high on Illinois. I think that they're going to be a fucking bugaboo, and especially for Nebraska. It's something about this style of football, um, something about Brett Bielema against Nebraska. I just, well, I don't think I'll ever feel comfortable with. Even if I think even if we handle them better than expected, I'll still feel weird about them next year. So, and moving forward, I think it's a W, but I think it'll be hard fought. Hard fought is the right way to say it. What I think is really neat, though, is we're seeing some serious growth in the Big Ten West. We're seeing a lot of coaches that are really good fits yeah. in these schools. You know, Pat Fitzgerald obviously is, is the exception to this rule because he's been a longstanding coach. But with a guy like Brom, who's now in his sixth season, I believe, and a guy like Bielema, who feels like a really good fit in Illinois, these these schools are starting to identify these identities. There's the magic word. Take another drink, everyone. Like Pee Wee's Playhouse. <laughs> but I, I really like how the Big Ten West is starting to evolve and becoming an even kind of almost harder version of the of the conference there's not as much stars and scrubs like you might find in the big 10 east where you've got the the great schools and then you got the bad schools Mm -hmm. here it really is a dog fight so great job to all these schools to all their athletic directors (laughs) (laughs) pat yourselves on the back so i'm looking forward to this slate of three games i think it's going to tell us a lot about who we are and where we stack up a three and oh record against these three schools is nothing to shake your head at nothing to scoff at you expect it, and I think that if we beat Purdue, I'm going to be pretty damn happy too. Yeah. That does it for this week. We want to thank everyone who tuned into this week's episode. If you have anyone who you think would enjoy a listen, we would truly appreciate your recommendation. And don't forget to follow us on social media at Wannabe Walk-Ons and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Remember to do your part. Drink local beer wherever you are. You can find more information on Brewery 719 by visiting brewery719.com or by visiting Alliance Nebraska and seeing the brewery for yourself. 
If you have any breweries you'd like us to sample on the show, visit wannabewalkons.com to submit your recommendation. Tune in next week for part two of Nebraska's Big Ten West opponents and a sampling of beer from Johnny Bird in Wayne, Nebraska. Thanks for listening, and as always, drink Big Red. Drink Big Red. (laughs) 